So anyway, I've just I titled my message there, and it's just stuck with me, a revival where we recover all. And so um, I, I believe this is a word of the Lord, um, a revival where we will recover all. But how many of you know, number one, revival's not a run or a shout always. That may be involved in that. Um, but revival begins with repentance. And so um, I don't know. We're just going to minister the Word of God. Amen. And so it may be a few weeks that we may just look at a revival where we recover all. Amen. Um, so I've got this morning, tonight, and Wednesday night, and Sunday morning, Brother Trevor Benton's going to minister the Word. He's got a Word, too. That's a preacher. Amen. And so I know he's got a Word for us Sunday morning and Sunday evening. How many of y'all know we were supposed to have guests the whole month of August? But it didn't work out. Amen. And that's all right. God knows, don't he? Amen. God knows. And so we had another visitor instead, and we booted him right out. Amen. Rona's gone in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so thank the Lord. Amen. We need to keep Rona gone. And so uh, anyway, um, God knows when those ministers need to be here. I do know that September the 18th and 19th, I believe it is, it will be on a Thursday and Friday that Pastor Brian McDonald will be with us. That'll be a great couple nights. You won't want to miss that. Amen? It's going to be powerful. And so um, uh, it's a little odd nights, but he's very busy. But um, And so Sunday morning, Brother Trevor Benton will be ministering. And then Sunday night, there is a missionary. Her name is Tanea Gotti. Um, she is a missionary to India and a powerful minister of the Word of God. And um, she will be ministering um, Sunday afternoon at 5 o'clock. And so um, it's going to be a great week next week. But um, I do want to discuss this morning and tonight, um, and possibly Wednesday night, a revival where we recover all. Amen. How many of us have things in our life that we need to recover? Um, and so we'll look to the Word of God this morning at 1 Samuel chapter 27. I'm going to read all of that, and then I'm going to read 1 Samuel chapter 30, okay? Um, I probably need to read a majority of both of these chapters, so you don't have to stand with us. We've been standing, and um, I just need to read these chapters, amen, to get the where we're going. Um, this Friday night, there will be a ladies' night. Um, Sister Regina will be ministering at 630 um, all ladies, please come, uh, bring your daughters, uh, please come, and bring food and a friend, amen, and so um, we just look forward to ladies being together and y'all being here, and um, let me just say that, uh, listen, if, you know, we talked to some people this morning, if if, if you feel the need to wear a mask, please know nobody's going to judge you in this church. And if they do, come see me, and um, we can all have a talk. So um, we're, we're not here to point fingers or judge people. Um, if you've experienced this sickness, then you know it's a real thing, okay? And so if people come in here and wear masks, you better not say a word. Let people worship. That's That's... And so, listen, I'm all for, that's not the battle that we're fighting. Please know that. That's not the battle we're fighting. And if we can get so focused on a mask, then we'll lose 
the battle, okay? This battle is much greater, and the battle that we will come into will be much greater than, than how we worship and what we wear when we worship, okay? And, and so um, I thank you for having faith to come back. As you can see, we were just looking earlier. There's many that haven't, um, and, and so we understand that too. Here is what I would say as a pastor. When you get well, the first place you need to run to is the assembly of the church. Don't let fear cripple you. The Bible said men's hearts will fail them for fear in the last days. But those that endure unto the end shall be saved. And so that's what we have to know. There is a real war going on. There is a real sickness but the fear attached to the sickness is greater than the sickness. Amen. People are dying. And any time we've lost near and dear people just this week. And so it is a real thing. But how many of us know that it's appointed unto man all to die? Amen. And so we don't know um, how much darker this thing is going to get. But we need the church more than ever. Amen. We need the church more than ever. Brother JT said that Christian is about to get Tory right now. That's a miracle from God. Amen. We just rejoice with that. Praise the Lord. Um, but tonight at 5 o'clock, I, I would really encourage you to come back um, because we like to, um, tonight we're going to look here in the Word of God, but tonight we're going to talk about restoration. And before you can recover all, and when you recover all, you want to restore and so I believe part of restoration is what God's called this church to be and this property. And so we're going to refresh your your we're going to refresh the vision. We want to discuss what God is doing. We don't want anybody to be left in the dark because this thing is moving fast. It has to move fast. Amen. I mean it just has to because the kingdom of darkness is advancing. Why wouldn't the kingdom of light advance just as fast? Amen. How many of us would like to see as, as, as fast as this virus spreads and as easy as it spreads, the kingdom of light is spreading that fast? Amen. I mean, just the glory of God just hitting people. Amen. The blood of the Lamb just hitting people. You know, just boom. I mean, wouldn't that be a miracle? That's a revival where we recover all. Amen. And, and so tonight at 5 o'clock, we're going to discuss... We're going to talk about, we'll let Brother David talk about what the, the church, the septic, just everything, amen, just doors that God is opening, the school. We just want to refresh, I mean, because things are happening. And, and I can tell you, if, if you're not refreshed on what God is doing, then all you'll see is what the devil's doing, amen. I believe we need to be reminded and refreshed on what God is still doing. In the midst of famine, we're still sowing, Amen. I said in the midst of famine, we're still sowing. Is that not what he said to do? Sow in the middle of a famine. Sojourn in this land. Don't you leave out of here. I know it's hard and I know nobody else is doing it, but we got to stay. We got to sojourn and we got to sow in the middle of a famine. And let me tell you, God is still moving in a famine. Amen. Let's get to the word. Y'all ready? 1 Samuel 27. I'm just going to read all of this if God will help me. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines 
and Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in my coast of Israel, of any coast of Israel, so shall I escape out of his hand. We'll get back there, but that was a big no-no. Verse 2, And David arose, and he passed over in the 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinom, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, Nabal's wife. And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath, and he sought no more again for him. And David said unto Achish, If I have now found grace in thine eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee? Then Achish gave, them, gave him Ziklag that day, wherefore Ziklag pertaineth unto the kings of Judah unto this day. And the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. And David and his men went up and invaded the Geshurites and the Gezrites and the Amalekites, for those nations were of old the inhabitants of the land as thou goest to Shur, even unto the land of Egypt. And David smote the land and left neither man nor woman alive and took away the sheep and the oxen and the asses and the camels and the apparel and returned and came to Achish. And Achish said, Whither have ye made a road today? And David said, Against the south of Judah and against the south of the Jehermelites and against the south of the Kenites. And David saved neither man nor woman alive to bring tidings to Gath, saying, Lest they shall tell on us, saying, So did David, and so will be his manner all the while he dwelleth in the country of the Philistines. And Achish believed David, saying, He hath made his people Israel utterly to abhor him, therefore he shall be my servant forever. Now let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. In chapter 28, you see where Saul joins himself with a witch doctor, basically a median, uh, and begins to try to call Samuel up and gives over into demonic activity. Chapter 29, you can see where the Philistines gather together and they say basically this, that David will end up turning on him, on them, and so they basically send him on his way. Amen. So I just want to bring you up to date. I'm not trying to jump, but I just want you to know. So here we are in chapter 30. Um, basically, when they have sent David and his 600 men back on their way to Ziglag, and they said that if we let him fight with us, surely he'll turn on us. And so here we are to chapter 30. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag and smitten Ziglag and burned it with fire. And it had taken and had taken the women captives that were therein that slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men, how many of y'all know that's a picture of the grace of God? I mean, you know, I just can't really move past that without declaring that. What a picture of the grace of God. Because if they would have wanted to, they would have killed them all. But God wouldn't let them. 
they were still alive. They were just held captive. Some of us, we've just been held captive. Amen. But God has, has kept us alive in His grace and His mercy. And I thought about Tori. You know, she may have been held captive, but she, her life was spared. <laughs> Amen. We've been spared. What a picture of the grace of God. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Amen. And this is what God does. Lynn, did you have your hand just raised thanking God? Okay. Praise God. Amen. All right. Amen. I was going to let you insert if you had a word. All right. I don't want to miss Leanne. She's, you know. But that's what a beautiful picture of the grace of God. Amen. Verse 3. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captive. Somebody say, David had the same thing happen to him that the other 600 did. Amen. His two wives were taken captive also. Names the wives. Verse 6. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Amen. The same thing that, that David lost, the others lost, but they were mad at David. They had to blame somebody, didn't they? And so they got mad at David and were going to kill him. But David's struggling too. Amen. Verse 7, And David said to Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought hither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So David went, he and his 600 men that were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and 400 men, for 200 abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook. And they found an Egyptian in the field. I love that Egyptian. <laughs> he might be one of my favorite people in the whole Word of God. Amen. He just is. In the field and brought him to David and gave him bread and he did eat and they made him drink water. And they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. When he had eaten his spirit came again to him for he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water three days and three nights. You know what this kind of, I just thought a lot during, during the, uh, the two weeks of you know corona and everything else so many people laid sick. I said, just wait till they start eating and drinking. They're going to know right where the enemy's territory is. <laughs> Amen. I just saw a lot of Egyptians that just thought the enemy left them behind for dead. But you just let them eat the bread of life and drink that living water again. They're fixing to come out and be ready to go right where the enemy's at. Amen. Amen. And David said unto him, To whom thou belongest, and whence art thou come? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, the servant to an Amalekite. And my master left me because three days ago I fell sick. The devil left us for dead, didn't he? <laughs> but the king came by. <laughs> Amen. That's another time. 
we made an invasion upon the south of the Cherethites and upon the coast which belongeth to Judah and upon the south of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said, can you bring me down to this company? He said, why, sure I can. <laughs> and he said, swear unto me by God that thou wilt neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring thee down to this company. Isn't it just like God to use one of the enemies to show you right where the enemy is? <laughs> he just exposes all of his stuff. And when he had brought him down, behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil. I love God spoils the enemy spoil. <laughs> Amen. And great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. Y'all still with me? I know I'm reading a lot. Y'all just bear with me. And David smote them from twilight even unto the evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man of them, save 400 young men, which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. And David took all the flocks and the herds which he drave before the other cattle and said, This is David's spoil. And David came to the two hundred men which were so faint that they could not follow David, whom they had made also to abide by the brook Besor. And they went forth to meet David. To meet him, they were come, they were to meet that, that were with him, and they came, David came near to the people, he saluted them. Then answered all the wicked men and men of Belial of those that went with David, and said, Because they went not with us, we will not give them aught of the spoil that we have recovered, save to every man his wife, his children, that they may lead them away and depart. Listen to me. Just because somebody fights with you don't mean they're fighting for you. <laughs> you can have sons of the devil, sons of Belial that fight with you that are really against who you're going to restore. <laughs> so just because somebody's in this church this morning don't mean that they're on your side. Amen. Verse 23, Then David said, You shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord hath given us. He knew it was the grace of God. Who hath preserved us and delivered the company that came against us into our land. Isn't this just a chapter of grace? <laughs> I mean, everything about it. For who will hearken unto you in this matter, but as his part is that goeth down to battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff. They shall part alike. And it was so from that day forward that he made it a statue and an ordinance for Israel unto this day. And when David came to Ziklag, he sent of the spoil unto the elders of Judah, even unto his friends, saying, Behold, a present for you of the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. Jesus, I pray that you would help me, lead me, guide me. Lord, as we dive into your word today, God, I pray that you would teach us today. Your, your truths, reveal your word, reveal your heart to us, God. In this great hour that we're living in, we need you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And so I just, I just want to slow down today and just talk to us and give us a few things that I believe will help us in the season that we're living in. So I titled this, A Revival That Recovers All.
Now, I don't believe that the church is going to go out weak and defeated. I don't believe that the church is going to go out put behind and put down. Amen. But we have made the enemy our footstool. Amen. Well, he's, we're, we're resting our foot upon him, the church. Amen. Why can we do that? Because of Jesus. Amen. But I promise you the enemy will not have the last say so and put his foot down on you and I. Amen. But we have to have our mind made up that we're going to overcome and be overcomers because to him that overcometh. Amen. And we're going to receive. And so I believe that we are going to see the greatest outpouring that the church has ever seen or known. Amen. I believe that we're in the midst of a great awakening. It may look dark and it may look dim, but can I tell you, it's always darker right before the sun is about to rise. Amen. And so church, we have to realize and we have to hold on. And I believe the word that I'm going to speak to you today is what this great revival that we will recover all. I believe everything hinges upon this word. And this word is repentance. I believe revival hinges on this, repentance. I believe it all hinges right here. You cannot have a revival where you recover all without repentance. We want the run, we want the shout, we want to feel the emotions of all of that, but you know that you can shed tears and not repent. You can have emotions in worship. You can have emotions in the Word and you can be stirred by the Word but still not repent of what God is saying to repent of. Amen. You just can't. You know, I, I just I could not get away. Come here, Dom. Yes, sir. You want to see a picture of repentance? <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, you want to see a picture of repentance? This guy had never been in church. Am I right? He had never stepped foot in a church. He had never stepped foot in church. But you know what he did? One of the first ones in church this morning, he, he, he sent he sent Kaylin up here to put their offering in the bucket. You know how I know that when somebody repents? Because God not only gets their heart, he gets their wallet. I'm not here trying to get your money, but a person that don't tithe hadn't repented. I'm telling you, if you won't pay your tithes and be faithful and give over and above, then you've not repented of your sin and said, I want to serve God because you can't not give your tithes and offerings and say that you've repented and be a thief and a robber. That's what the Word of God says. A person that won't do that, that's what we are. A person, amen, I'm just using Dom for a minute because he repented that day. Do you mind? Man, when Michaela preached that day, she said, nobody ever told me I had to die. I remember going and meeting Dom that day in the truck. And people just say, what would you say, Leah? There's no way he should be saved. <laughs> she knows. <laughs> There's no way he should be saved. So listen, during the pandemic, he said, you know what he said? He said, I'm tired of having church outside. So you know what he did? He went and bought us a machine to spray this whole church down that would kill the virus in four minutes. Amen? Amen. You know why? He said, I'm ready to get back inside and have church with the assembly of the brothers and sisters so that we can be in the presence of God. Amen? 
That's what repentance does. Repentance is, I not only think about Jesus for an hour, well, three hours here at GFCC on a Sunday morning, but I'm thinking about bettering the house of God when I'm in my when I'm on my job, when I'm driving in my truck, when I'm laying in my bed. I can't get the house of God off of my mind. I can't get thoughts of Jesus out of my mind. I gotta serve him. I gotta die for him. Nobody ever told me I had to die, but since I've been told now that I've gotta die. When you're repenting in your heart, you don't mind dying. You don't mind picking up a cross. You have Jesus on your mind 24-7. You'll do the things that God requires of you to do. Amen. This is a picture of repentance. You don't have to look very far. Amen. Thank you. I love you so much. Amen. I love to watch this guy worship. Amen. I love to see him. He just reached forward to Brother Joseph a while ago, laid hands on him, and just began to pray. That's repentance. You don't have to pry nobody. You don't have to prime anybody. It don't have to be the right worship. Don't have to be the right song. Don't be in the right key because they're going to worship no matter what you sing, no matter how you preach, no matter what color the carpet is, no matter if it's comfortable, no matter if it's hot, no matter if it's cold. When a person truly gets right with God and repents, I'm telling I'm telling you they're going to worship. I'm telling you they're going to praise God. There's going to be something in that heart that said I'm willing to give it all. That's repentance. I said that's repentance. Repentance isn't getting baptized in water. No. Repent, be baptized. Amen. There's a lot of folks that get baptized in water never repented. Repentance isn't a little prayer that you say. Repentance, sit and bow your head and close your eyes and repeat this prayer after me. And nobody look around and, well, everybody always does this, don't we? Y'all know what I'm talking about. I wasn't looking. I wonder who's getting bored again. I wonder who was in adultery last night. That's not repentance. That's peekaboo religion. Repentance is, I'm not ashamed I need Christ. I'm not ashamed that I need to be born again. I'm not ashamed I was in sin last night. And I need to repent. And I need to get right with God. Repentance is key to a revival that recovers all. There's a problem in the church. Judgment starts at the house of the Lord. The problem is not in the world. The problem begins in the church. We have become so worldly. We have become so worldly. Jeremiah Johnson was preaching this morning. He said, you know the reason we can't lead any of our friends to the Lord? He said, because we don't look anything like Christ to them. And they don't want nothing that I possess in my life. Because they see the way that I live in the world. He said, why would they want anything? He said, Jesus died. He said, Jesus died to redeem us more than an hour on Sunday morning. He said, Jesus died to redeem us forever and ever and ever. Amen. I'm telling you, church, we must repent. I don't even know if the church knows what repentance truly is. We think repentance is coming to an altar and crying tears. Repentance is about everything from the top of my head to the sole of my feet changing. That not only means that I don't go and do the same things that I once did, but whenever I'm not in that environment, my thoughts are different too. 
You know, you can be out of an environment. You can be, uh, you take a hog out of the hog pen, but that hog is still thinking about the hog pen. He's still looking for some hog pen to go. It might not be the same one that he came out of, but let me tell you, you take a person out of the environment, put them in a new environment. I'm telling you, if that heart don't change and that mind don't change, they may be in a different environment, in a different city, or a different place, but if that vessel has not changed and become right with God and repented from the inside out, then wherever you place that person or that vessel, it'll find the exact same places, it'll find the exact same people, and the exact I'm telling you, it, that vessel will find somewhere to go and find some slop to get in. Repentance begins on the inside. Repentance is a change of mind. Repentance is a change of heart. Repentance is everything changing from the top of my head to the sole of my feet. Everything. Everything changing. The Bible says this, judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. We all know it, but guess what? We're going to read it. Amen? We're going to read it. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, what did he say? If my people, which are called by my name. <laughs> Who's he talking to? Number one, there's an if. I just couldn't get this scripture out of my spirit last night. If, number one, if my people, who's he talking to? The church, which are called by my name, right, will humble themselves and what? Pray. What does he say then? Seek my face and do what? Turn from their wicked ways. You mean there's wicked ways and people in the church? I thought we're just talking to them in the world. Surely it's only the worldly that have wickedness in them. No, there's some wickedness in all of us in this church this morning. Seek his face, not his hand. There's too many people that want to seek a move of God and not seek the face of God. You see, God's hand represents a move of the Lord, and that's okay to be in a move of God. But what do we do? We move from move to move to move, and we never seek His face. But whenever we seek His face and quit seeking moves, then things will change, and it will bring me to a place of repentance. Moves of God will never bring you to a place of repentance, but looking into the eyes of our Savior, Jesus Christ, will draw you to your knees and break your heart and cause us to come to a place to repent. If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways and seek my face. Amen. Seek his face. Turn from their wicked ways. What did he say then? Then will I hear from heaven. What does he say, Brother Justin? Isn't that the cry of our heart? We need healing in that revival. But what comes first before the healing, brother? What comes first before the forgiving? Repentance does. Repentance. Quit seeking a move and let's start seeking his face. We must repent. Amen. Now turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I thought about, man, how close these are. 2 Chronicles and 2 Corinthians. Both talking about repentance. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. 
Now I rejoice that ye were made sorry, but that you sorrow to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. Verse 10, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. What comes first, repentance or salvation? You can't be saved without repenting. I'm going to say that again, and you say it with me on the count of three. One, two, three. You can't be saved without repenting. A lot of us want to get salvation before repentance. That's not what the Word says. We want to get forgiven without turning from wickedness. I want wickedness and I want forgiveness. You can't have both. You can't have salvation without repenting. What is repenting? Repenting means I was walking this way and God got a hold of me. And now I said, I'm going to change my heart and my mind. I'm going to seek His face and I'm going to walk in this direction. Now when you begin to turn from wickedness and begin to seek His face, there's a process called sanctification that begins to take place in your life. Does that mean that everything is going to be just, just everything is going to be perfect in that moment? No, but the perfect one is now in me and the Holy Ghost is greater on the inside of me than that that was in me before of the world. And when I mess up and the process process of sanctification is moving and working at each time. Repentance is a daily effort. I said repentance is a daily effort, not just something that you did 18 years ago. I'm telling you, I repented 18 years ago in a jail cell, but I had to repent this morning when I got up. It's a daily responsibility, repentance. I said it's daily. How can we repent? People say, I've, I've, listen to me, there's a very dangerous teaching that said once you get saved, you don't have to repent and you're not convicted of sin anymore. The greatest gift of grace is repentance. <laughs> That's what grace does. Grace teaches us. Am I right? The book of Titus, chapter 2, grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. That wasn't just 18 years ago when Jared got saved. That was this morning too. Well, you know, that was okay last year, but it's not okay today. That's because grace is working in me. I said grace is working in me. And so greatest, grace is our greatest teacher. So what does grace do? Teaches me to say no to what I used to could say yes to. And so what do I do? Well, that was okay a day ago, but it's not today because now grace has been applied and grace told me to say no to that. And so now I have to repent because it's what I've always done. Does that make sense to anybody? Repentance. If we're going to recover all, we must repent. We have to repent. Luke chapter 15 verse 7. I believe we get this one mixed up all the time. How many of you have ever been in a church service? Oh, somebody got saved today. All the angels in heaven are rejoicing. Anybody ever said that? Man, they got saved. We had 10 people saved. We had 100 people saved. I can tell you how you know when somebody's saved, their life is different. It's noticeably different. Here's what the scripture says. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven 
over one sinner that, what, got saved, repents. More than over 90 and 9 just persons which need no repentance. Amen. One sinner that repents. When you're in sin, you have to repent, not get saved. Repent to salvation. <laughs> this is a work of God that would even draw you and show you that you're wrong. That's what a beautiful picture of grace. That the Holy Ghost would convict us, tells me something's not right, and so it draws me to Jesus, to the foot of the cross, and at the foot of the cross, I see Him and I see me. And I say, I'm not worthy. And he said, I know you're not, but my blood makes you that. If you'll turn from your sin, if you'll turn from that unworthiness, if you'll turn from that worldliness, if you'll turn from that. I'm not sitting here telling anybody to stop doing anything. The last thing you need to hear is a preacher tell you what to quit doing. I'm telling you, get at the foot of the cross and see the blood that ran down for your and my sins. And you look up and see Christ that was there. You look around and you read the word of God and see a mama that had to see her son put there. I'm telling you, put yourself there. See the blood that's there. And I promise you, if that don't bring you to a place in your life where your rotten wickedness, sin, wants to live, it can't live there. Bring all your filth right there to the blood. Bring it there. I dare you. I dare you. See if addiction lives in the blood. Is that right, Donna? See if selfishness lives in the blood. You know why the church won't repent? Because we hold on to our rights to be right. And we got up out of the blood. I said we left the blood. But I promise you here at the foot of that cross where blood is, it's dirty, it's filthy, it's nasty. But I promise you addiction can't live here. Jealousy can't live here. Envy can't live here. Bitterness can't live here. Resentment can't live here. Unforgiveness can't live here. It can't live here. Because this is where Jesus died. And everything that we bring here, Jesus bought with that. If you think that you can come here and continue to live in everything you brought here, continually do that, then I'm going to tell you something. You look at me in the face, and if you hear nothing I ever say, and if you never leave or never come back to this church again, I'm telling you, if you try to keep everything that you said that you brought here and keep walking out with it, you've not repented. You've not repented. It's that simple. And I do know this, that we all will be held accountable. We all will be held accountable for what we try to hold on to. We will be held accountable. I promise you, you say a little prayer, you say a little two-minute prayer, I promise you that didn't save you. I promise you. You didn't go to the foot of his cross. And say some little prayer, forgive me of my sins, Jesus, come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. You ask him to be Lord of your life, you better get ready to die. <laughs> get ready to live, but get ready to die. But I promise you, you didn't come put yourself in some little prayer that some preacher told you to pray. I promise you, you'll know that life. It'll be changed. It'll be changed. Amen. Repentance. 
over one sinner that repents. Amen. So where are you getting all this from? Well, I'm glad you asked. 1 Samuel chapter 27, turn there with me. How many of y'all know even great kings need to repent? First Samuel chapter 27. Y'all just bear with me. I know it's a little different today, but that's all right, isn't it? Listen to this. First Samuel 27 verse 1. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines, and Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel, so shall I escape out of his hand. Can I tell you what, what King David just did right there? He just took his hand, he just took his life in his own hands. Here's the reality of this chapter and of this verse is David was tired of the persecution of Saul. You know, some of us get tired of the same old battles that you keep facing over and over and over. Anybody ever been there? Well, I guarantee you that David just got sick and tired of Saul pursuing him, trying to kill him. But did not God protect David at every turn? Did God not protect him at every turn? Has God not kept his hand upon all of us? And is God not worthy to continually keep his hand upon all of us? I can tell you that there are some battles and there are some things in my life that just feel like a Saul at times and just feel like they're always there trying to bring us down, persecute us, and destroy us. Anybody ever faced with those things in your life? Well, here's the thing. David said, guess what, God? I'm going to take my life in my own hands right now. You know what I could just hear David saying? You know what? I'm tired of this Saul pursuing me constantly. And so guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn into the land of the Philistines because I know Saul will not go there. And so now my life will be free and I'll be okay. So David said in his heart. Is that not what the scripture said? But what does Jeremiah chapter 17 also say about the heart? That the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Not some things, but all things. So many of us get tired of warfare. We get tired of battling. We get tired of the same old things. We get tired of that spirit of Saul constantly after me. Every time I turn around, there's Saul. Every time I turn around, the same thing I've been fighting, the same thing is always there, just nagging at me. Just I'm tired of warfare. Anybody ever just got tired? You're just tired. And so we say in our heart, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And so that's what David did. But how many of you know that the Philistines was and is the greatest enemy to the plans and the purposes of God? So when David said, I'm going to turn in here, then he said, I'm turning in here to get an enemy off my back. But he was about to walk in the greatest enemy territory to the purpose and the plan of God that he ever knew. But he took life in his own hands. So how many of us have done the same thing? We just take life in, the own hands, in, the, in our own hands and we say, I'm tired. And so that's what David did. So I want to give you 
four or five things today. David turned in there. Now, I believe that that's something that has great need for repentance. Because many of us, how many of you have heard the saying, just follow your heart, sweetheart. Just follow your heart, sugar dumpling. Just follow your heart. It's all right, just follow your heart. Well, does your heart tell you to marry that person? Does your heart tell you to do this? Does your heart tell you to go there? Just follow your heart. It'll be all right. That's one of the greatest lies from hell. One of the latest, greatest lies from hell is to say, follow your heart. You better follow Jesus. David followed his heart. When you follow your heart, you're following in natural ability. And the only way that we are going to see a supernatural ability is not to follow by our own fleshly heart, but to follow in the Holy Ghost. Carnality, the carnal mind is enmity against God. But walking in the Spirit, you will see a supernatural manifestation of the Spirit of God. I can tell you the vision of this church, it don't always make sense in our heart. But I can promise you that it does make sense to Him. And we have to trust in Him. We cannot follow our heart. We can't do that. And so the first thing that David did was he followed his heart and he turned in to get rid of Saul. But instead he turned into the greatest enemy of the purpose and the plan of God upon his life. And so David began to fight the wrong way. David said in his heart, I'll turn into the land of the Philistines. I just said it, Jeremiah chapter 17. The heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Listen to me this morning, church. We must fight out of the spirit and not out of the flesh. We must not fight and face an enemy out of what our hearts tell us to do. We cannot marry and we cannot join ourselves to what the heart would say to do. Well, in your heart, that may seem like the right thing to do. Your heart may tell you to go pray for that person. But if the Holy Ghost don't tell you to come to this altar and lay hands on them, then you better not touch them because maybe God is trying to get to their heart. And the only way God can get to their heart is for you to keep your heart out of them and keep your hands off of them and let God finish the work that God is doing. So many times we get tired and weary and wore out from the battles of this life and we begin to make deals with our own flesh and our own heart. And so many times it's good things that destroy the God things that are in our heart. We get tired of souls and we turn in to the greatest enemy of the plan and the purpose of God in our lives. We wonder why there's so many people that say, what is the plan of God for you? Well, I don't know. I can tell you why you don't know, because you follow your heart, not God. God knows. How can anybody say, I don't know the plan and purpose for my life, other than at some point in my life, I turned into the land of the enemy of the purpose for my life. One of the greatest deceptions of hell it's to mask the church that says, I don't know my purpose. Well, I wonder why the church is weak. Nobody knows their purpose in the church. Why is the kingdom of God so weak? Because we won't ask God, what is the purpose for my life? You know why we don't ask? Because we don't want to count the cost. We don't want to count the cost. I shared with our, with our staff here Thursday, Tuesday morning. 
if, 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 if Eleazar would have stood over the well with the golden earrings and Isaac in his hand and said, whoever will make sure that my camels drink till they're finished, then you'll get all these promises. But he didn't do that. He said in his heart to God, the one that does this will marry Isaac. The one that does this will get these bracelets. You see, a lot of us want the reward on the front side, not the back side. But we must count the cost on the front, not the back. I promise you the reward will come if we're willing to count the cost. Why is the church of Jesus Christ so weak? Because we don't know the purpose for our life. We have a lot of churchgoers. But I promise you if everybody got engaged with the plan and the purpose of their life, the perfect will of God, let me tell you something. <laughs> the greatest destruction in life is not death. But it's life without purpose. It's life without purpose. What a sad, sad day to be doing the very thing that God didn't call you to do. We're miserable. But I can promise you in the perfect will of God, you're going to find Him. But you know, I got to do it. Y'all still with me? I got to hurry. Listen to me. We fight the wrong way. We fight out of our flesh instead of out of the spirit. We fight the wrong way. David began to fight the wrong way. David could have kept fighting with Saul and God would have kept protecting him. But he said, I'm going to fight my own way. I'm going to turn in here. And then David, then Saul will leave me alone. Listen, that's not the key to get Saul to let you go. The key is to keep fighting with the Lord. So listen to me, church. If we'll repent of fighting the wrong way, can I tell you, there's a way to fight right. There's a way to fight right. We got to quit fighting the wrong way. We got to quit fighting in the flesh and start fighting in the spirit. Amen. We can't do what comes natural, but we must live and do what's supernatural. You know, a lot of times you got to do the very opposite of what I would do in my natural state of mind and say, what, what, okay, what would God do? Probably the opposite of what you would probably do. It's probably going to be totally different. So it's okay. Do the opposite of that. Amen. Y'all stay with me. Don't go to sleep yet. The second thing I want to tell you, we've been fighting the wrong way, we've been fighting the wrong battle. How many of you know you've been fighting the wrong battle at times? Some of us are so wore out from fighting the wrong battle, we can't even fight for the right thing. We've been fighting the wrong battle. Can I tell you this morning, Stephen Taylor loves telling me this, who's our fight against Stephen? It's not against what? Flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood. Can I tell you, we've been fighting the wrong battle. Husbands and wives, listen, I'm talking to me. We fight against each other. Then you're so wore out, you can't even do what God's called you to do. Are you hearing me this morning? Listen to me this morning, church. I said we fight the wrong battle. Our war, our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against rulers, people in high places. We have to know that the enemy has come, and he has come, and he knows that if I can keep, keep, keep getting them in the same place, then why move on to anything deeper or higher? I got them right where I want them. They won't step into the plan of God and the purpose of God because the enemy keeps defeating them in the same place. So I got them fighting against each other, quarreling amongst each other. That's not God's fault, 
And a lot of times it's not the devil's fault. All he's got to do is plant somebody there and get you fighting and quarreling among each other. And he said, all right, look at here. They thought they had victory, but look at them go. Look at them go. I ain't even got to do anything. I just planted one little seed in their mind. And look at them go, boy. They hate each other now. They're divided now. I wonder how many churches are divided because the enemy planted one little seed. He threw one little dart, and that thing hit right in that mind. And now here we are. The church is divided, and we got ten new churches out of that, and we call it the will and the plan of God. No, it's not. you got ten false churches on every corner that's not filled with anything because one dart that the enemy threw because we're too busy fighting the wrong battles, fighting it the wrong way. And church, you and I must repent. My God, we got to wake up. We got to wake up. Why are we fighting against each other? You're not my enemy. I'm not your enemy. But we look at each other like we are. Don't say that you don't. We got to repent of that. Husbands and wives, children, the only way that you're going to have a long life is to honor your father and mother. Quit fighting against them. We're not your enemies. Because we say, get up and go to church. Now we're the devil. Because we say, don't do this, because we probably have learned some things in life. Don't make us the devil. Listen to me, young people. We're not your enemies. God gave you to us so that we could be entrusted with your life to oversee your life. We're not the devil. We're not the devil. God has entrusted us with you. We know a little bit more than you do. We do. Does that mean that we're special? No, but we've been entrusted with your life. We fight the wrong battle. Kids, you're fighting the wrong battle. You'd be a whole lot farther if you'd quit fighting. The wrong battle. Are you hearing me this morning? Church, I said we fight the wrong battle. We're too busy. We're fighting against each other. Husbands and wives. Children against parents. Parents against children. Listen to this. We're fighting against people in the church. We're fighting against pastors. Well, I can't believe they would say that. I can't believe they would do that. I can't believe they didn't do it my way. They've not been called to do it your way. They've been called to do it God's way. I promise you, I'd much rather stand before all of you on judgment day and give an account to every one of you about what I did good and what I did wrong. But I won't stand before you. I will not stand before you. I will not look at David Bryant. David Bryant, tell you, remember that day you did good to me? Remember that day you did wrong to me? I will not stand before him. But I'll stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And guess what? I don't only give an account for me and these right here. But guess who I give an account for? You see Ryan George? You see Regina? You see all of these? Guess what? He's going to say, how'd you handle them? How'd you handle David and Leah? How'd you deal with Seth and all when they were dating? How'd you deal with them? Did you tell them the truth? Did you tell them to do whatever? There's a lot of mistakes run through my mind. How'd you deal with them? Did you handle that correctly? No, Lord, I messed up a lot. Almost killed Rafe and Carly. God, you gave me another opportunity. You brought them back. Lord, how did I do then? Well, you did better, son. You did better, son. How'd you do them boys? You tell them boys the truth or you just let them live how they want to live? We're going to give an account for how we treat each other. 
We're going to give an account. Look at me, boys. You're going to give an account of how you treated us. We're all going to give an account of the way that we live this life. Dominate you and Caitlin. You're going to give an account for the way that y'all have been in this season. Going to give an account for all of this. God's going to look at every one of you on this day and He's going to say, You remember there were lost people there? Were you just trying to get their pocketbook and just pad it over or were you telling them the truth? Going to give an account, church. That day could be soon. And I'm telling you, I would hate to know that I was too caught up to, boys, all of us. Fighting the wrong battle, fighting against each other, and the rapture of the church come. And you hate to know, brother, that I'm fighting the wrong battle and the rapture comes. Jesus was wanting to take me up so I could come back and have a battle with him one day, be, be, be victorious. But I'm too busy fighting the wrong battle in this flesh. And I can't even come back and have victory with him. You see, church, you have to understand the weight of the call of God. Because if you don't understand the weight of the call of God, then you'll never understand the weight of what this carries. And you'll never respect it. You'll never repent of the way that you have treated it. The church has lost its fear and respect for people of God. We call people in the pulpit our homies. We call God the man upstairs. There'll be a message in tongues given and we're blowing bubbles, walking outdoors and drinking out of water bottles. Answering our cell phones. There's no respect for the house of God. The church has to repent of these things. We're fighting the wrong battle. Well, why did he tell my kids they couldn't, they couldn't play their phones? Because your children are going to stand before Jesus one day at the age of accountability, and I'd rather your children know to hear the voice of God and to respect people of God than I had to teach them how to play Roblox or Minecraft in the middle of a church service. It's time that the church of God would repent, and we got to quit fighting the wrong battles, quit fighting the wrong places, and quit fighting the wrong people, and realize that this battle's not against flesh and blood, but it's against something much greater in the church of Jesus Christ. The church is not your enemy. Your pastor is not your enemy. Your husband, your wife, children, your moms and dads are not your enemy. My God, we're together in this. Church is fighting with one another. Church is hating one another. I'll tell you, what's wrong? God help us. Listen to me. Here's another battle. It's the wrong battle. It's the wrong battle. David, come here for a minute. You're going to be the call of God. I'm just trying to live my life, and you're the call of God, and you're all on me. And, uh, and I'm like, man. What if I go to the world? Get off of me. I'm going to smoke. Get off of me. I'm going to get high and do drugs. I'm going to go have sex. I'm going to get off of me. And the call of God just keeps on me. Because the 
call of God is without repentance. Too many of us are fighting the wrong battle. The call of God is just all over your life. And you're too busy trying to get the call of God off of you. And you're just putting yourself deeper and deeper and deeper. And you're so wore out. We're just fighting the call. Get off of it. Quit the call. Fighting the battle. Can I tell you what God will do when He's got to do? I knew at 16 years old, 16 years old, the call of God, I was behind a dope house. Ryan George was there that day. I'd walked out of that beauty shop, went to the backyard. My dad called me. I'd been to see the psychiatrist that day. They had put me on Lexapro. I was on all kind of antidepressants. And I walked out there, and there was something about a drug program. My dad told me to look at it in this newspaper, and I had it in my hands. I was telling somebody this the other day. You're going to think I'm crazy. But God was prophesying through my life when I was high at 16 years old. I could load every person up in this church this morning. I could take you to the exact spot I was standing. I drive by us a house now. Sixteen years old when I went down that J. Strat crusade and I gave my life to the Lord. God put his hand of grace upon me. And I ran from the call. And I was in that yard that day several years later. I didn't do drugs till I was out of high school. I started and Ryan had just got out of a program and it lasted three days sobriety. I went and seen the psychiatrist, thought I had life figured out. I was high as a kite. My dad called me. I stepped out of that house. Call of God's with me. Sixteen, it came on me. I'm high, I'm reading that newspaper, this program. And I began to prophesy to my dad. I didn't even know it. I said, Dad, one day, I'm going to help people like me. I said, Daddy, one day, I'm going to be a drug and alcohol counselor. I'm going to help people. And I know from that day, I fought the call of God. Get off of it. I didn't know the Bible. But God allowed me to do what I wanted to do. He allowed me to get so broken. You've heard the story. You know where I ended up. You know how I ended up. I tell people all over the world, if you don't think God won't strip you down to nothing but your flesh and how you came into the world and put you in your own mess from head to toe, don't think God won't. Because that's what he did for me. He got my attention. The call of God was in that backyard. The call of God was on that football field. The call of God was underneath that truck in your backyard, right? In my own mess, the call of God was still there, and I'm starting to let go. 
September the 19th of 03, I surrendered. And I said, I'll take it gladly. Church, we're too busy fighting the wrong battles. Some of you are so wore out from fighting the call and the plan and the purpose of God for your life because you know the cost is greater than you. And it don't make sense to your heart, but it makes sense to God's heart. Are you with me? I said we're too busy fighting the wrong battles. We're fighting with each other. We're fighting with the church. We're fighting with pastors. We're fighting with our husbands. We're fighting with our wives. Fighting with our children. We're fighting the call of God. We're fighting the plan of God. Can I tell you, the Bible tells us 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, on how we're to fight. I'm going to just read it for you. I'm going to try to hurry, okay? Jesus, I didn't mean to go this long, y'all. 2 Corinthians 2, 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So you can't fight the way that you've always fought. You can't fight in the flesh. We have to fight in the spirit, amen. We have to fight in the spirit. Listen to me, we fight with the wrong people. We fight with the wrong people. 1 Samuel chapter 27 says this, verse 5, look at this. It said, And David said unto Achish, If I have now found grace in thine eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee? David went and joined himself to a man by the name of Achish, and his name means I will blacken or terrify. So you not only turn in to the greatest enemy, the plan and the purpose of God, you not only fight with the wrong people and against the wrong people, but now you're going to join yourself in this place and you're going to ask a devil to give grace to you. What did the prodigal do? Joined himself to a citizen of the far country. He left the father's house. What does the Bible say that we are to do? Not only when we repent, he said what? He said, flee. He said, run from youthful lust. He said, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. But did he just trying to get you out? No. He said, so that I can be a father to you and you can be sons and daughters unto me. That's what he's saying. He joined himself to the wrong people. And let me tell you, when you follow your heart and when you fight the wrong battles, I can tell you that the devil will plant people in your life and you'll go to devils and ask them for grace. Is that not what he did? His name means I will blacken or terrify. What is he saying? He said, you, th- you got a little light right now, but just stay connected to me, and it won't be long. You'll be dark. I'm going to terrify you. You can't tell me that's not a type of an enemy. That's not the direction of the Lord. The direction of the Lord is let Saul keep fighting because he was finding grace in his eyes. Listen to me. You can't follow your heart. We can't fight the wrong way. We can't fight the wrong battles. And listen, we can't fight with the wrong people. Who have you joined yourself to? 
I promise you, join yourself to a citizen of the far country and you'll turn darker than you've ever thought. There's only one option when you get out of the will of God. There's only one option. If you're not around people of God, you're around people of the world. And if you're around people of the world, they're people of the devil. And Satan is their father. There's no white or black in this. I'm sorry that you don't like me now. But if their father is not our father in heaven, then their father is the father of the world. And his name is Satan, S-A-T-A-N. Join yourself to him and see what happens. He'll give you a place. You'll find grace in his eyes. He'll give you a place called Ziglag. Ziglag get in the will of God. Ziglag get in the will of God for David. Ziglag get in the will of God for David. David's about to lose everything there. Keep walking, you've following your little heart and see what door the devil don't kick down and come in too. You see, if David wouldn't have been minding somebody else's business, would have been in place, that enemy never would have went and took his wife and his children to begin with, or 600 men. You see, when we fight the wrong battle with the wrong people, I can tell you what it does. It leaves home wide open for the devil to move right in. I don't know if I'm making sense to anybody here today, but if not, then I'm all right with that. We join ourselves to the wrong people, and our lives will end up worse than they will better. I can promise you, listen, you keep playing games with God. You sweep that house clean. The scripture's very plain. He said he'll move seven more demons in with himself. And you do that every time. That's seven times, seven times, seven times, seven. I promise you that number will get bigger. And I promise you this, the word of God said the state of that person in the end is worse than it was in the beginning. You thought you were bad before you went into sin. You sweep the house and play games with God. Come down to an altar and say a little prayer. Cry a few tears and say I'm called by God and walk right back out and join up to that Join up to Akisha's, join up to citizens of the far country. I promise you thought you were dark before. You keep playing games with God and see where it gets you. The wrong people. He said, I'll give you a place. He said, if I have now found grace in thine eyes, then give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. Why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee? Boy, you'll begin to make devils look real good. Why should I dwell in the royal city with you, Akish? <laughs> Even devils will start looking good in your eyes. Why? Because you've turned into enemy territory. Brother Rafe, are you playing? Come out from among them. Bad company corrupts good character. The prodigal joined himself to a citizen in the far country. He said, I'll give you a place. He gave him Ziglag. So verse 8 said, And David and his men went up and invaded the Geshurites and the Gersites and the Amalekites, for those nations were of old, the inhabitants of the land, as thou goest assure, even of the land of Egypt. And David smote the land and left neither man nor woman alive. You see, David's too busy fighting the wrong battle. <laughs> He's killing everybody. How you know God wanted them people dead? Can I tell you, you get out of the will of God, can I tell you who you're going to be accountable to stand before God one day? And he's going to say, you remember when you turned into the land of the Philistines and I where I told you to be? And all them people that I was going to put in your life for you to minister to, but nobody was there and they died and went to hell? 
now they're in hell. You could probably hear from hell. Why did Jared tell me the truth? Why wasn't Stephen in the will of God? Stephen was fighting the wrong battle, fighting the wrong people. He was too busy living his own life. Why didn't Marcus and Michaela tell me? Souls are crying in hell. Why didn't that church tell me the truth? Why did they go back and use meth? I needed Chris in my life. But he didn't care. He's too busy fighting the wrong battle. People are dead. People are dying. Just because I followed my own heart, because it got too hard. I got tired of Saul, and so I turned in and followed my own direction. Now their soul's crying in hell. David slew him. Where God wanted him to be. David's too busy killing people. And David and the 600 men got wives and children back in Ziklag. And guess who's there? The enemy. Wonder why many of our homes, the enemy's taking over. Because we're killing people that we don't need to be killing. Fighting battles we're not supposed to be fighting. Doing things that we don't need to be doing. Souls are crying in hell today. Because we followed our own heart. Got too hard to follow God. Got too hard. That Saul just kept pursuing me. Just got too hard. Every time I advanced and moved back to an altar, man, the devil was there. Just too hard. You know how many people I know today that aren't in the will of God because every time they move to God with great intentions and the Lord moved upon them with great intentions, every time they came, so did the devil. Can I just tell you, like Job, that just means he's trusted. God showed me way back at Dunklin. He showed me. Come here, brother, because you preached on this other night. I got to get up here because David's going to be Job. And I could just see, you know, in that story, I could just see Jesus with his arm around Job. Saying, hey, you thought about my boy? You thought about my son? Come on. You're not going to separate us two. Do whatever you got to do. Come on, devil. He's mine. He's mine. That's my son in whom I'm well pleased. So come on, devil. You can have your way with him. But I know him good enough. He's not going to deny me or betray me. I just saw this one day, just Jesus right beside said, the devil's just saying, come on. <laughs> just come on, thank you. Just come on. That's my son right there. He ain't, he ain't going nowhere. Do what you got to do. Do what you got to do. Listen, we fight the wrong things. We're killing people we don't need to be killing. Let me tell you what the Word of God says in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. This battle is not yours but God's. Some of us just need to lay our armor down, need to lay our weapons down, and we just need to say, God, fight the battle for me. God, just fight this battle for me. And lastly, we're fighting for the wrong things. You know that? We fight for the wrong places. Listen to this. 
He asked for grace in his eyes, and he said, Give me a place. And verse 6 said, Then Achish gave him Ziklag that day, wherefore Ziklag pertaineth unto the kings of Judah unto this day. Ziklag was the wrong place for David. Some of you's in the wrong place in your life today. You know that? Some of you's in your Ziklag. Now listen to me. Gethsemane's a hard place and a place of crushing, but oil comes out there. It's an olive press. Gethsemane was the will of God for Jesus, but Ziglag was not the will of God for David. Now the beauty of God, God causes all things to work together for good. Aren't you thankful for that? And so God did use Ziglag to show David where he was. But listen to this. I said this at the youth meeting. Ziglag reminds me of zigzag. A lot of our lives are in zigzag. I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. It must come from the same place because zigzag means winding. But it can also mean this. It can mean a measure pressed down. Or listen to this. Because here's what I have found. When I get out of the will of God and end up in a zigzag, it means to be mentally sorrowful. I wonder why so many in the church are depressed. I wonder why so many in the church are babbling things in the mind. My head, my head. Because many of us are in zigzags out of the will of God. And so we're being pressed down. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying David got there. And David became so distressed that he couldn't even weep anymore. Some of you are in your zigzag today and you're in a place of great distress and depressed and you've cried about certain issues. You can't even cry anymore over these issues. You have nothing left to give. You feel like everybody's against you just like David did. But what did God do with David? David encouraged himself in the Lord. And then David inquired of the Lord. So what did David do? He asked for an ephod. In chapter 30. Do you know what the ephod is? It's the garment that the priest would wear. And then the Bible says right after that that he inquired of the Lord. So what are you saying? I'm saying that David repented from chapter 27 to chapter 30. He said, I know what my old heart got me into. And now, God, if I'm going to recover all, then I need to call the priest to bring the ephod. I need to get along with God. I need to put on a garment of praise. And I need to encourage myself in the Lord. And I can't ask what my heart wants me to do because your heart may say pursue and recover all. But if God didn't tell David to do it, then you better not do it, church. Are you hearing me? I said in chapter 27, verse 1, David said in his heart, but in 1 Samuel, chapter 30, the Bible Bible said that David inquired at the Lord saying shall I pursue after this troop shall I overtake them and God answered pursue for thou shalt surely overtake them and without fail recover all you want to recover all church repent some of you is looking at me that's alright that's alright I'm telling you church we need to repent I'm telling you this morning, Grace Fellowship Christian Church, many of us have unforgiveness in our hearts. We need to repent. Some of us have been following our own heart, and our hearts left us a lot of places. But I promise you, some of your hearts have left you to your zigzag, and you're mentally sorrowful 
You're so whipped down and wore out. Many of us have been trying to figure things out, figure the call of God out. And many of you are fighting the call of God, trying to get it off of you, and you're just wore out. Quit fighting the wrong fight. Quit fighting with the wrong people. Husbands and wives, we got to quit fighting. Children, quit fighting your moms and dads. Church members, quit fighting and quarreling among one another. We're in this thing together. Would you stand with me?